This is a message from our sponsor. I'd like to introduce you to Publica by IAS, the award-winning CTV ad server trusted by some of the biggest streaming services and smart TV manufacturers globally. Publica helps a growing number of leading AVOD and FAST services to power the programmatic ad break decisioning via products including a unified auction, server-side ad insertion, and a demand-agnostic ad server built from the ground up around streaming. Head to getpublica.com to find out how they help CTV publishers to grow their advertising revenues and provide streaming audiences with linear-like TV ad break experiences. Welcome to the Architecture Podcast. I'm Ari Papero. I'm joined by Eric Franchi and our special guest today, Andrew Kraft, who probably every single person who listens to this podcast knows personally. Andrew, thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you. Glad to be here. Some housekeeping. Up, so first of all, next week is Christmas week. Originally, we were just not going to publish a show. And then Eric convinced me that we had more to say. You guys have not heard from us enough. So while you are in the Bahamas or hanging out with your family, put on your headphones and listen to our special holiday show where we'll be wrapping up the things that happened this last year. Secondly, see us at CES. I don't know why this is in the show notes, but I wrote the show notes, so maybe you want to see me at CES. I think I'm just hanging out in the ARIA lobby, so if you need me or if you want to be interviewed, just look for me, and I'll whip out my phone. We can have a quick interview. I will not be there. Andrew? I will be. Okay, so yeah, I'll be there. Andrew will be, and he's looking for a job. So, I'll hang out at the lobby bar with you. Yeah, exactly. Two unemployed <laughs> middle-aged guys just recording podcasts and looking for jobs. It's really the top of the market here. All right. So I, I'm really excited to have you here, not just because you're an interesting person. We'll talk about you being an interesting person later. I, I'm more interested in the recent news. So your most recent position in this great world of media and advertising was as the COO of the Arena Group. And you were laid off a couple of weeks ago, right before it was announced that Ross Levinson, the CEO, was laid off there. Tell us, what is the Arena Group and what's going on there? Great. So the Arena Group is a technology-powered media company. We are a roll-up of a whole bunch of publications or Sorry, they are, because I'm no longer there. A roll-up of a whole bunch of publications, Sports Illustrated, The Street, Men's Journal, and others. What makes the company different is its technology that powers its growth, powers the ability to onboard third-party publishers and bring them under the umbrella of the brands into verticals, which they called arenas, thus the Arena Group. I was there for uh, for a year as CRO then left the company. Then Ross Levinson was hired as CEO, brought me back as COO and president. And that's where I was up until two weeks ago. Then what happened? So our job, we had a job, right? Which was turn, well, we had jobs. Yeah. Was turn a company, now I don't, right. Turn a company, which was then on the verge of bankruptcy, turn it EBITDA profitable. And once we've done that, and have that under our belt, find an investor to refinance the debt, fund ongoing growth, et cetera. So over the course of three years, Ross and, and me and the leadership team, we tripled revenue with the work of you know, hundreds of really incredible journalists, sellers, technologists. We, we grew EBITDA, $50 million EBITDA swing, so brought us profitable. And then, then we brought three deals to the board to consider for strategics. The board picked an investment from Manoj Bargava, who's the founder of Five Hour Energy. And the day after the change of control, as 
does happen. The new investors said, well, we want to take the company in a different direction. So they cleared out most of the C-suite, including myself and Ross and Rob Barrett and a number of others. Uh, look, it, it was always a risk, but we did our job. We turned it around. We saved the company. And so I sleep well at night and wish them the best of luck. Okay, so the thing that raised people's eyebrows was that this transition happened roughly a week after there was a pretty major kerfuffle in that there were fake articles being written by AIs by fake journalists on Sports Illustrated. And, uh, you know, this is like it's like you're showing people in the journalism profession that they are being they are replaceable. They're actively being replaced. It's the Stepford Wives of journalism. So you're so are we here are, i'm gonna use that so i'd love to I'm hear i'd love to hear the story about how that happened because i think you did post something about it but also i'd love to hear your defense that that was not related to the house cleaning you know everybody it's fascinating in an industry where people get angry at clickbaity headlines they then write clickbaity headlines right like every conversation starts with this it's great there's a lot of these clickbaity headlines saying, you know, leadership laid off for for they don't call it kerfuffle. I'm going to use it. They call it AI debacle or something like that. Awful. But the body of the stories usually give the actual facts. The truth, Arena hired a vendor to write e-commerce content, not sports content, but, you know, top 10 vacuum cleaners you want to buy. That vendor didn't use AI on Arena properties. They do use AI elsewhere, but we had in our agreement, they, they were not going to use AI on our properties. But they did make up fake bylines because they didn't want, you know, I'm guessing because they didn't want whoever was writing it. They may not be a vacuum cleaner expert writing on the top 10 vacuum cleaners. So once we discovered they made false bylines, the team got rid of the vendor. It had nothing to do with AI, but it makes such a good story. And it got it got sort of amplified over and over again to the point where Sports Illustrated and AI even showed up in a Michael Che joke. How did this game of telephone happen? So the game of telephone... I can't say for sure, but this is my what I believe. The vendor was known for doing AI elsewhere. A bunch of writers at other publications got wind that we were using that vendor, looked at a bunch of stuff, looked up the people and said, oh, look, these people aren't real. At the time, we didn't know that the people weren't real. We weren't doing background checks on people writing top 10 vacuum cleaner stories. And they called for comment. And we're in the middle, literally inking a deal for the company's investment. And we were in a, a comment blackout. Like we could not comment on anything. So they wrote stories based on their guesses without any confirmation. After the fact, we were then opened up that we could make comments. And we did. And, you know, we gave our, you know, we gave what happened, but. Boy, the telephone game of clickbaity headlines. I think we probably added millions of dollars to the revenue <laughs> of clickbaity rags by, you know, not jumping up and down and saying, hey, and even and, and so as for defense that that wasn't why we were terminated, if such is needed for the court, the head of PR of Manoj Bargava's companies actually called the first few articles and made a statement. And those are inserted in the articles that said that we were not laid off for that reason. We were just a restart. Right. Okay. So you were laid off for better reasons or worse reasons. 
So I just want to repeat what you said so, so we get this on the record. So you had contracted with a company to create sort of SEO bait crappy articles. They hired crappy journalists no, no, who no. didn't want to be associated with the articles. SEO bait e-commerce articles. That's an important part. So you contracted with a company to create SEO-based e-commerce articles that had nothing to do with sports, put them on the Sports Illustrated site, hired crappy journalists to write them, but the crappy journalists were embarrassed to have their names associated with them, so you used AI to create fake crappy journalist names. Then that all blew up. You know I love you, Ari. (laughs) There's some pronouns in there. You did. We didn't. Advon did. Right? So the answer is we hired Advon to write e-commerce content to make us money, and Advon did those things, and then we got rid of Advon. A week later, new owner said, new direction, see Right. You can see why this might get people a little upset. Of course. It's just like... You know, here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing about it, though, right? Ross Levinson and I and Rob Barrett and all the leaders of the organization, every time we're asked, because it's true, it's true even the way that we've been running our AI explorations, we've been looking at it as tool set. Right. To aid journalists, we like I don't believe Ross doesn't believe, you know, Rob, none of us believe that journalism should be replaced by AI. Like there's real value to the work that these people do and fully supportive of it. That said, uh, just like editorial teams didn't push back on the invention of Microsoft Word and Spellcheck. Right. That was something spell check and grammar check in Microsoft Word transformed writing when you didn't have to look every word up in the dictionary. Same thing. AI is a tool set and shouldn't be pushed off, but nor should it be used to create anything fake. I hear you. I, I, I honestly think the greatest invention in the history of journalism is like control Z, the undo. Like when when they invented undo is like, oh, my God, no more backspacing. This is incredible. Yeah. Find and replace, I think, is. Probably oh, my God. The, the innovations of in text in our lifetime are astounding. But I, I want to talk about journalism and publishing in general, because I think one of the reasons whenever there's a scandal, the reason why it catches fire is because it reinforces someone's re- existing beliefs. And this story caught fire for two reasons, in my opinion. One is because of the AI replaced journalism. The other reason is because of this sense like. A lot of journalistic enterprises like Sports Illustrated, like Newsweek, like U.S. News, are all like zombies, zombie companies that are sort of owned by, you know, rapacious capitalists like yourself. They're kind of coasting on their brands and their special features and their swimsuit issues to a future where journalism is dead. Oh, oh, there's so much there. <laughs> Thank you for all of the holes. Rapacious capitalist and like your swimsuit issues. Love that. So journalism isn't dead. Publishing isn't dead. What, what's that phrase? The uh, reports of your death have been widely exaggerated, right? As they say, the, the, it's not. In fact, it's thriving. What's, what's not thriving is the crap that's out there that you know the MFA sites and things like that that are 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 now finally under under siege so the the long tail bullshit the great journalism is still great journalism and it comes in all different forms i mean i'll use i'll use swimsuit as as an example right S, si swimsuit is a site based on the and a publication and a series of events based on you know a a 60 year old publication and that 
publication is transforming with the times. There is an amazing editor-in-chief, and I no longer work for the company, so this is what I really believe. Right. <laughs> right? right. There's right the there's an amazing editor-in-chief and GM who partner these two powerful, well-spoken, thoughtful, insightful women are driving forward a message of you are who you are. A beauty is is who you are and what you do with your life. And that's why you feature, you know, people on the cover who are who are businesswomen, Martha Stewart last year, athletes, performers. It's it's it really is the the website is about culture and travel. Now, the venue, people may have issue with the venue, but you know, I talk I talk to to women I know in the industry and I have for years and ask them what they think of of what's happening at Sports Illustrated. And they say finally there are people in it who look like me. Finally, there are people in it who are focusing on the the social aspects of this world. I don't mean social media. I mean, you know, the social structure of the world and travel and culture. So there is real journalism happening there. You've got great works of Berducci and Wertheim and Epstein and others at Sports Illustrated, the unsung heroes, the unsung like Mitch Goldich and Jason Schwartz and people who do the the editing work that 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 create all that. And and that's real and that's not going away. Yeah. What is going away are the days where journalism was just an art form and the business didn't matter. Now there's a marrying of the business and the art form, because the art form has to make enough money that it will function and be able to support more of that that great work. And that's where I think everything's headed. So is that, you know, commerce and journalism all, mixing? Yeah, there's all different ways. I think most of the industry, with very few exceptions, you know, has not been super successful with the ideas of subscriptions. There's enough content out there that people can get what they want mostly for free. Yes, if Arena puts part of SI behind a paywall, it's not, you know, you you may not be able to get an article from Tom Verducci outside that paywall, but you can get other articles about baseball and they might be almost as good and good enough for you to for for you to read but they won't be the the in depth that that someone who's been covering the sport for for as long as Tom has and I don't want that to go away and so that's why Arena didn't put it behind a paywall right because there was no no need for that e-commerce is a big piece right of revenue with real bylines by real people I think is a message to everyone going forward <laughs> check your vendors is really my lesson learned from this process. The Don't, give us a subdomain yeah. is the new one line of JavaScript. <laughs> you know, oh God, I, I love, I'll tell you, after being at AppNexus for seven years and spending my years in ad tech, becoming a publisher and hearing the pitches, oh just add this one line of JavaScript. I'm like, okay, but what's the code load that the JavaScript calls? Yeah. Right? And they go, what do you mean? No, no, it's just one line of JavaScript. <laughs> I'm like, no, you get out of the room. Get out of the room, like bring someone who understands what they're talking about into the room. But yes, just a subdomain is dangerous, dangerous to SEO. It's dangerous to reputation. But there are partners that do it well, who you can trust, who, whether it's in for e-commerce or it's, you know, various other forms of marketplaces or it's, you know, you find a you have a travel site and you you work with a travel agency to take a subdomain to do actual travel bookings for you. These are all valid use cases of that. And that's going to grow, not shrink. Those 
titles of arena. So Sports Illustrated, yep. The Street, and Men's Journal. And there's probably some more that they've picked up over, over the years. Well, there's, well, over, right? there's over 200. So yeah. Yeah. You'd call all of those legacy brands, most likely. Yeah. You know, legacy has su- such an interesting connotation. I, I would call them legacy brands because they're brands that you remember from a time when they were other. But at the same time, they need to grow and mature. You know, everybody says, you know, define new audience. Who the heck knows? Some publications will aim at 50 pluses and and they should continue to until their audience Dies. goes on of old age. Well, <laughs> that actually, I, I remember, it's so interesting you say that. I remember sitting, when I worked at the IAB, you know, Ari said, I know a lot of these people who are listening. That's because I sold them all their IAB membership, right, back in the day. And I remember sitting there and talking to the head of sales, Jim, over at National Geographic. And he goes, our problem is our, our reader base is literally dying out. Right. Right. For National Geographic. The, the key is to replenish. It's not just to follow the 50-year-olds up, but to keep replenishing. Right. But then there's then there's movements with some of the brands, Men's Journal, The Street, and others to to bring the audience younger. Like the 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 reality is for a media company to be successful today, I believe they need a diversity of sites. It's not going to be possible for a single site publication. Maybe in some cases, you know, you have someone of the New York Times is Gravitas, but even they have other sites as well now, The Athletic and others. It's not going to be possible for them to be successful because the technology they need, the the SEO help that they need, the sales teams they need, the finance teams, the HR teams, those teams need to be amortized across a wide variety of publications and ideally in different verticals because different verticals have different seasonality, right? Sports Illustrated is really in many ways, it covers a lot of all the major sports, but football is its bread and butter and the seasonality of that shows, So right? And yeah, I, I want to kind of talk about some other aspects of this news yeah. situation. So there's been this viral, sort of viral screenshot going around from Comscore. I, it was in the show notes, but I put it in this morning. So you may not have seen it. This basically shows the Comscore digital audience for every publisher that they track going down similar yeah. double digits last month, and every single publisher down significantly, like we're talking 30% less traffic year over year. Los Angeles Times down 28.9%. Washington Post down 27%. New York Times down 28% year over year, according to Comscore. You can argue with Comscore, but it seems like there's a real trend here. And it seems to be anecdotally driven by social media X and yeah. Meta. Yeah, you're 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 not wrong. It's it's not that big a drop off for everyone. The more diverse the organization, because there are ones that rise and ones that shrink. So that's once I why I go to diversity of 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 topicality, right? With seasonality, some of that is due to seasonality. For example, sports is actually in general up because this is the height of, of football season right. here in the U.S. Every news publisher besides USA Today, to be clear, on this image yeah, chart that but news uh, is, is down and down yes. bad. Yes, because that's news. And news is different than than topics. Maybe I'm not using the best words for it, but sports. Ver- verticals. Right, verticals. 
sports is something people go to for sports. They go in a lot of different places and actually they consume as much as they can. It's not, oh, let me see what the score is last night and then I'm done. If you are a fan of a, of a team, you are going to look up everything you can find out about that team in all different different venues. So social media doesn't doesn't get in the way of that. I get my news in social, my news news. Right, and there's less of it right? now. So we we think social is putting its finger on the lever and showing less newsy content, especially meta. Yeah, it, it, it is officially, but like when I want to get news on finance, I have TikTok, I have people on TikTok I go to to get my daily news on what's happening in finance. And, you know, I, yes, I also go to the street.com because I, I've done that for five years and it's, it's a great site, but I also go and get my news from TikTok. I don't go to the traditional, I have uh, unplugged finally, I know I'm late to the game. I unplugged finally the day after I, I was unemployed. Cut back. Right, right. But, but I'm doing just fine. The only thing that's harder to find with just streaming TV is news. And I can get that on Instagram just as easy. All right, so just an age check here. I want to go around the around the horn. What publications yeah. do you still get delivered in print to your house? Andrew, were you first? Well, I'm 50. Sports Illustrated, but that's not, you know, I, I get I get a proof copy or I got a that's proof copy. That's going to run out soon. Yeah, Curling Zone. Curling Zone. Oh, I get curling okay. zone. <laughs> well, but, but, but that, just, that just comes because that just comes because I'm a member of of USA Curling. Eric, what about you? At print to the home. I, I only get the New Yorker, and I have to wear reading glasses with the text is too small. All right, so I want to cover Andrew Kraft, the influencer. So you know, I have had the tagline "ad tech influencer" for many years, and some people make fun of me for it, but it's true. But I don't think I have as much influence on the on culture as you do. So I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle off some of your some of the ways in which you've changed our culture, and you tell me how it came about. First, yeah, the same three hundred. Yeah. So in the early days of the IABALM number one and number two and others, it seemed like. The same 300 of us, and I made up the number 300, it seemed like a good count of the people in the room, showed up at every single conference. And what's interesting is we'd all say, why do we need to show up at this conference? We can just get together in New York between conferences. True. But we didn't because we had clients and day-to-day -day work and travel. And so the conferences were actually where the same 300 people came together that could meet in New York, but don't ever have time and kind of a forcing function to get everybody together. By the way, try, what's really interesting is I've tried several times, try actually making a list of, of the core 300 who've been here for 20 years. You kind of like stall at like 200, but- I'm still going with my three. Matt Barish counts for 10. What's we're, we're long past the same 300. You know, yeah. the industry has evolved. It's grown. It, There's it you know, gi giant but, companies. But the 300 still there. But it's um, it's less inclusive than it should be. What, what, yeah. what should it be today? Uh, it depends how wide you draw the concentric circle. The reason I use the same 300 is not to be exclusive. It is to honor the people who I've known for 20 years, not to exclude the people who I met last year, right? And I think that's an important piece. You know, the, I, I've known the two of you for well over a decade. I've 
someone I, I, I mentioned Brian Lesser as an example, who, who's wonderful, and and uh, they go, oh, you know Brian Lesser, and I chuckle and I go, yeah, we we were both junior people together, right? At him at twenty four seven Real Media and me at the IAB back in the day, and now you know he's he's one of the foremost leaders in the space. And he's one of the 300 that I see at every conference. And 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 that is, for me, how I utilize it. It is the people who I am honoring because I've known them for a long time, not because the other people aren't just as important, if not more. It's a great message as we head into the holidays. The next thing I wanted to ask you about is the socks. So on Instagram, we see your yeah. socks. Why? why? What, what's the deal with the socks? So my wife owns a yarn. Oh, okay. Store. Now we, that explains it. Enough said. But it, no, it's more. It's Don't more than that. that. Okay. She made me these really nice socks from like a blend of, of fibers you would not make socks, like yak, cashmere, and merino wool. Like I know more about fiber than anyone who doesn't own a yarn store should know. And I took a picture of them and people said, oh, look, those are cool socks. And so it wound up becoming a thing. Every time I got an air, on an airplane, I took a picture of my travel socks she has them made by uh, by this uh, amazing uh, woman Celeste who who makes them. But my wife picks out the 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 yarn, and then one year, Nicole Pangus for my birthday made me a coffee table book of all my travel socks posts. Wow! And had people in the industry sock bomb my book. Mm-hmm. So like, there's a Steve Cattleman feed, and there's there's um, a whole bunch of other socks in the in the in the book. Darn. So there's a joke in the industry that I think you're privy to, which is like how long before talking to Andrew does he bring up curling? And you could like time yeah. it. It's usually five minutes. We got about 25 minutes into this podcast before we heard about curling. I don't know if there's that much more to say, except you're a curling enthusiast. Is there anything more to say here? It's so funny. There, there was this one moment at an IBALM where there was someone who was relatively new to the industry and curling was on TV because the IBALM is often around the Winter Olympics time. It was a Winter Olympics year. And curling was on TV and someone screamed out, where's Kraft? And everybody laughed. Right. And this guy goes, why Why are people laughing about Kraft and curling? He said, no, don't say that because people will think you're a newbie in the industry if you don't know that Kraft curls because it's all he talks about. Yes, I am a competitive curler. It's the only sport you could be middle-aged out of shape and still be in the Olympics. And I love it for a very specific reason. It, to me, is the ultimate example of how life and business should be. It takes an entire team to make a shot. Somebody tells you where to aim and sets the strategy. Someone starts the process. The other two people who are sweeping are communicating back and forth between the thrower and the person who's saying where to go the entire time. They change strategy midway if, if something isn't going the way it's supposed to go, and only together can you achieve greatness. Also, you could be drunk while doing it. Also true. All right. So let's talk about AppNexus a little bit. So you had 21 roles over seven years working at AppNexus. Yes. Whenever there was a, a weird problem, inevitably, Brian O'Kelly would be like, let's put let's put Andrew on that. So uh, we don't have time. Like, we could probably write a book about your experiences there. But give us, like, what was the weirdest, most ridiculous thing that they had you do? Hey, Andrew, we're we're parting ways with our CFO. We'd like you to be acting CFO. All right. That's not a role you could just slide right into. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. So my I started as as biz dev and, and, you know, moved into corp dev as well and integrations. 
And in order to do BizDev, which included entering new countries and doing strategic deals, I kind of had to know what was happening everywhere else in the company. I may not be a finance professional, I am not a finance professional, but I understood the concept of hedging and currency and FX and RevRec and all of these things that matter in 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 finance, treasury and DPO and DSO and and you know I can throw out more buzzwords if you like, but what they needed was someone until John Sue came thankfully and really elevated the role. They needed someone to keep the ship from sinking by giving business context to the finance team. Oh, this this is what needs to happen for business. I need you to figure out how to do it. And it worked really well because Brian empowered me to the finance team to be that business leader that they needed to to really help guide them. And there are some incredible leaders that came out of that and the partnership that we had. When we entered something new, I was sort of the entrepreneur. And so that was just one of the things, you know, I'd fill in the spots or launch a new business line for them and that was definitely the most challenging one because it was the one I was least qualified All for. All right, so before we go to, for a break, I'm going to give you the opportunity to plug your listening tour. So the ARIA lobby or elsewhere you may find, Mr. Kraft, what, would, what is the listening tour? Who should reach out to you? Yeah, so 90 meetings in 90 days. I, I kicked off my tour with uh, Andy Batkin and Rashad Tabakawala just the other day. My goal, and I've done this before when I'm, when I'm between – you know, gainful employments is to go out there, hear what people are doing. I have no skin in the game. I'm not there to sell anything or buy anything. But what I can do is connect dots. What I'm really good at is the art of Waldoism, the ability to find Waldo in a where's Waldo almost instantly, right? Pattern matching. And so by going out, hearing what people are doing, I can then connect people, connect dots, come up with trends that I'm seeing. I'm only a few meetings in, but 90 meetings in 90 days, I'll be at CES, either at the Vesper Bar or the Aria Lobby Bar. Would love it if people would reach out to me. If you're doing something interesting, I'd love to hear about it. And I'll be at IBALM as well. Awesome. Look up Andrew Kraft if you would like to hear about curling or potentially need a utility infield player on your team. Let's take a quick break and come back with the news of the week. A lot of interesting little kerfuffles this week. Uh, And we'll be right back. This Architecture podcast is sponsored by Adelaide. Remember where's Waldo? He was 100% viewable, but still awfully hard to find. Your digital ads are like Waldo. Viewable, but in a sea of distractions. You need to move beyond viewable. Adelaide helps brands like Mars, Audi, Colgate, and the NBA measure media quality and drive better performance by optimizing campaigns programmatically with attention data. Adelaide's metric, AU, is available at nearly every major DSP and SSP, making it easy to leverage attention metrics. Get a free Waldo was viewable t-shirt at adelaidemetrics.com slash Waldo. All right, we're back. So the big news, I think this is big news this week that I was sort of involved with, was around Cox Media Group. So there's this longstanding sort of belief among many Internet viewers or that advertising companies, ad tech companies are listening to your phone and showing ads based on what you say, conversations. And the consensus among people like me, the intelligentsia of ad tech, if I may, is that that's not true, that it would be a terrible legal violation. And if we did that... There'd be all kind of hell to pay. Also, it's not really that practical. People still believe it. And then someone found at 404 Media that the Cox Media Group 
literally has a web page saying reach consumers based on what they say on their phone. It says that. And they have a frequently asked questions on this on this page. It says things like, is this illegal? No, it's not illegal. It's really bad. It's like the worst possible web page anyone could ever put out in this business. So those are all facts. So I posted this on Twitter, like, holy shit, this is actually happening. And then some interesting things happened. First of all, Everyone in ad tech kind of ganged up against me and said, no, it's not happening. You're an idiot, which was interesting reaction, considering that this Web page actually said it was happening. I was just repeating what a Web page said. Secondly, there was some confusion, and I'll take some blame here, that Cox Media Group is not owned by Cox or is all, it's not controlled by Cox. It's actually controlled by Apollo Group. They spun it out. So the question of were they using the telecom data became sort of an interesting conversation. And a couple of days later, Cox Media Group put out a statement. I don't have it here in, to read to you, but effectively what they said was, we're not listening to your phone calls. We are licensing third-party data that is opted in to listen to people's voice voice messages or something like that. You know, I'm not sure if I should be me a coupling here. I was just repeating exactly what this web page said. And it turns out the web page was exaggerating the fact that they're using probably low quality data from some random sources of voice messages. So I don't know where this leaves me, but I thought I would just kind of air all the dirty laundry here on my podcast. Anyone want to jump in? We should talk about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. We should talk about this. Yeah. So number one, why do you think everyone ganged up on you and, you know, had this like, you know, strangely aligned knee-jerk reaction on, no, this can't be happening. No, absolutely not. I have, I have a, a question after this, but answer I, that. I think that no one wants it to be true because our friends and family will tell us this over Thanksgiving. Like, I think my, I think Meta's listening to me and we're always in this position of defending ad tech saying, no, we're not actually doing this. Right. We we always say that, like, OK, you talked about it at dinner, but someone here searched for it and that was tied to the IP address of the household. Like we've all we've all come up with these these stories about it. I agree. It is not easy to do that sort of targeting. Right. I'm not sure the value of the targeting is there to do it, which is part of why I think there's some urban legendiness to this. But. Saying, you know, if there are people who have opted in, I, I don't know, I've never been asked by my phone provider, will I opt into having my messages looked at? But there's all sorts of data sets out there. I do believe there might be a data set based on that somewhere, but I don't think it's a widespread, hey, by, you know, Amazon. I, I don't I don't apologize to Jeff Bezos when I say something in front of my hacker. <laughs> so maybe you should. <laughs> yeah, I think this reaction of like, we... I saw somebody post, as no dig on the person, like, we, we need to do better. I mean, this is like one company that was working with another company, which we should talk about this other company in a second. Who knows if they were completely like fabricating like what they were able to do. So I think, A, the reaction was just kind of strange. And already getting the heat was even, even more strange. Yeah, I mean, I could take the heat. But I, I think it was interesting that people really did have a pretty negative knee-jerk reaction. And it turns out that it was kind of bullshit, right? So it yeah. was – there was a the, the real bad actor here is whatever marketing person put up that horrendous webpage. <laughs> right. right. It was – it was the marketing person, yeah, with, with, with some of the, the, the language was quite surprising. So it turns out that there's a company behind this called MindSift. Okay. MindSift is not an ad tech company that I think is on anyone's radar. I don't even know if you would call them an ad tech company. 
They've got some YouTube videos with interviews of the CEO and everything like that. They, they seem to be a bit of a fringe actor. And from what I could tell, they had some relationship with some company that works with apps or the apps themselves that were saying, yeah, sure, like, you know, we have the mic opted on and we can provide this data for you. It seems to me like this is total vaporware that just made the front page. Yeah, so there's also like the tech people have a little bit of a debate here about whether this is technically possible. But I do know that there are companies out there that are doing ACR on TV using microphones on phones that are opt-in. So whether this is technically possible or not is kind of an open question in my mind, and I wouldn't be able to answer that because it may be in the gray area where it only works on Androids and, you know, you have to have certain permissions. But No, but Mac, you know. Mac addresses are Mac addresses. I mean, you you should be able – I mean, technically, I'm not saying it's easy. You know, I said it's, it, it's hard to do it in a way that adds real value. Hell, we're having a hard time as an industry finding ways to turn consumed text into value. Right. And and co community, what people type and use thoughtfulness to type on to add value. What someone says into a into a cell phone, I have a lot of trouble thinking it's going to add any value. All right, yeah. So interesting situation. Let's move on. So I think everyone knows that one percent of Chrome users are going to the sandbox, having cookies turned off on January first. But someone put this in, into perspective that it's fifty million people. <laughs> Eric, I think you put this in the show notes. How are you thinking about this? Yeah, I mean, so number one, it's uh, on January fourth. So I think they're you know giving people the the new year to uh, to recover and and prepare for for doom. <laughs> Three more days and of then, monetization, yay! <laughs> right. Yeah, one percent seems like a small amount, but if you operate at the scale of Google Chrome, to Ari's point, it's fifty million users. So again, you know, it's hard to extrapolate like what effect this might have immediately in January on campaign performance. But it seems like this thing is for real and it's going to start to have some, you know, kind of rolling impact over the course of 2024. So, well, get your happy new year. I mean, Alex Cohn and Joey Trotz and other, other really, you know, well known and well respected industry folks over at Google have, have been saying this is, it's real this time. It's not just getting pushed off and it is real and it's not getting pushed off. I think the, there are a few ad tech companies that say they're ready, but it's I have the I have the the crutches metaphor. If someone gives you a pair of crutches and says tomorrow you're going to break your legs, so practice <laughs> with these. You don't really practice with them until you've actually broken your legs. Even if you know your legs are going to break the next day, you don't. You're like, yeah, I'm kind of practicing, but I'm walking as I'm you know using them. I just learn how to put them together, and that's kind of how I look about the usage of all these replacement technologies. You know, the, the, the IDs, you know, the, 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 you know, topics, the, the various birds. No more yeah, birds. Yeah, I, 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 birds aren't I, real. I know, but I, I know, but I still like calling them birds. Like there's a bird named topics and all of those. Yeah, they've been used, but no one's really counted on them. Everyone's still counting on the third party cookie because they have been able to. So now, you know, if companies don't actually start using their crutches, they're going to be, they're going to have some serious revenue drop off and, or they'll have to rely more on other mediums that this doesn't affect at all. Cause guess what? CTV, OTT, this doesn't affect at all. Social, this doesn't affect at all. And so they can continue to lean into those. My, let's give a little shout out for Alec Cohn. He's doing a great job of being a public face of this. Yes. My current really incredibly is. cynical point of view is that the ad tech industry is going to seamlessly move to IP addresses for everything until IP addresses get removed. And, and there's going to be no effect whatsoever. It's very cynical, but I just 
reading the docs every time i hear it, what do you mean what do you mean going yeah i know they already are they they already use ip as backup or <laughs> right. greedy and they're gonna use right. those as a first classes and i agree all right so there were two minor acquisitions this week that just worth talking about first of all me hey so i have another company i had another company called launch science and we announced that it was acquired by octane 11 which is a b2b analytics company that brings in data from all different b2b sources it was not a big acquisition, and now I am on the Octane 11 board, so that's exciting. And Eric is actually wearing an Octane okay. 11 hat right now. I don't know if that's to honor this deal or he just has a cold head, not sure. But you're an investor, right, Eric? It's to honor the deal. We actually incubated Octane 11 in our in our first fund, and you know, I've known Dan for, for a long time. So we're a big believer in the company, and we're a big believer in Ari, and we couldn't be thrilled to have you involved. And as an investor in both companies, this was a good outcome. So now great I'm an unemployed middle-aged podcaster. Great. I'm gonna, I guess I should go on a listening tour. <laughs> so the other, other acquisition oh. was Samua, which was acquired by Snowflake. It's sort of a clean room in the cloud based around Snowflake. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because probably everyone knows the founder, who was EdTech veteran Kamakshi. Not going to do her last name, who was the founder of Drawbridge and had an exit to LinkedIn several years ago. I think everyone knows and likes Kamakshi. So congratulations to her on that acquisition. It was a pretty early, early acquisition in the life cycle of that company. I think they they announced the seed in, in February. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's super quick. And then, you know, we've been we've been talking about cleanrooms for the past year on the on the pod. And, you know, a a POV that's come up more than once is, you know, it's it's you know, probably best served as a feature of some of the large cloud providers. And I wonder if, you know, this is ultimately like validation of that idea and if this is going to make Snowflake that much more of a player. It might be also a feature on different other applications like BI dashboards with clean room capabilities, True. those sort of things. I, it's also possible that some of the standalones could do well. I mean, InfoSum is still, you know, doing, I don't know if they're doing well, but it's a sizable company. Habu got a pretty big, B round earlier this year. A lot of stuff going on there. Andrew, are clean rooms on your listening tour? Yes, I have reached out to several of the clean room companies and leaders for my listening tour as well. I think they're fascinating. I think, you know, the key is finding some sort of join field, right? Most publishers don't have that data that allows a join to join their table of data with the table of data on the, on the buy side. But these companies are getting really smart in ways to create those joins, whether they're deterministic or probabilistic joins. And, and I'm actually really interested to see where this is happening. Yeah. So I interviewed virtually every clean room company from Architecture TV. You could listen, if you remember, if you register on Architecture TV, you can hear Brian Lesser, you can hear Habu. We did a live ramp, et cetera. Really good information there. And yeah, one of the biggest differences between the companies was their approach to the join key. Some was bring your own, you know, you need to bring a graph. Others had built in graphs like live ramp, obviously. So that was probably an interesting thing. So last topic, I just put this in the notes this morning. Lena Khan from the FTC is looking to expand COPA. So I think everyone knows COPA, the 1998 law that protects children under 13 from data collection. And the Wall Street Journal sort of summarized that the main difference being that the agency would require that targeted ads be turned off by default. Also limited push notifications and what she called or they're calling surveillance in schools. I don't know what that means. But right now, just for reference, COPA restricts the ability to collect information and to use behavioral targeting to kids. 
but you can still target ads to kids based on, say, context or or time of day or whatever. So I I think this is where they're looking to push the boundary out a little bit. I don't know that this is a big deal, honestly. I I think probably the business of targeting digital ads to kids is very small, and most people would prefer not to be in it. So uh, I'm not clear that this is any sort of major move of the line. Agreed. Yeah, uh, agreed. Although, you know, there are, you know, the question really becomes where is targeting to kids, right? Uh, I'll give you a great example from my old yeah, all my examples are still arena because I, I I'm only two weeks out. Where they have SI and SI kids, right? SI kids is obviously targeted towards kids, right? So COPA rules are clear and apply. But what if there's an article on SI that you know is about something done for kids or encouraging kids? Is is that does that article affect the site? And so when you when you start expanding the scope, you do create concern in publishers less about clearly breaking a law because they're all going to work to comply. But the next wave of trolls that are going to come out and say, hey, you're breaking a law, you know, pay us a cent. This was the crux of analytics complaint against YouTube this summer when we had Christoph on the pod, yes. which was effectively to summarize, if you registered on YouTube or you used YouTube kids and they knew your age, they were acting appropriately. But if you were not registered, which the majority of YouTube viewers are not, and you looked at kids' content, they were treating you like an adult, and you were seeing ads right. for adult products. So I think that's maybe a bigger issue is like restricting ads on things which could reasonably be shown to kids as opposed to you know requiring a login and requiring age verification. Yeah, well, as a as a father to four now adult kids, I certainly wouldn't have wanted those kids traveling the internet with a "I'm a kid" label across everything they've logged into or not. That's true. Right? It's very tricky. So, yeah. yeah, both my kids registered for Instagram when they're pre-13 and lied about their age. I don't know if I'm culpable for that, but they did. I, I think tons of 11 and 12-year-olds are saying they're 13 to get onto the, the yeah. platforms. The last thing, I just kind of want to throw this up. Sort of end of the year, if there's a trend here. It feels like Threads is getting pretty exciting vis-a-vis X. We're starting to see Threads is launched in Europe, I'm using threads a lot more. I'm seeing a lot more of my sort of ad tech people and friends there, so getting more news there. And they're working on an API, which some people are talking about will break break the sort of stranglehold on frequently updated news there because publications can put articles quickly. Either of you guys on the threads bandwagon? No, I haven't logged in in a long time. Sounds like I should. I've been to Clubhouse more recently than I've Ooh. logged into Threads. Wow, that's a throwback. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was that was just as I was deleting the app. Yeah, to, to me, you know, Twitter obviously is, you know, X. for me is something I'm staying away. X, sorry, you know, it's always between. I still call it. I call. I still call Gam. You know, double click for Dart for public. Yeah, so do I. So. Yeah. But no, I I I focus on Instagram. I focus on TikTok. I I, I do stay on Facebook. I haven't I haven't uh, shut down my Facebook. It's how I keep in touch with the same three hundred, and that's and that's really it. I, I really have not. I mean, I I have a Threads account. I've been there. I I post rarely, but it hasn't attracted me like the others have. Okay, well, maybe I'm not the right. Author. I'll have to. Uh, are you creating content on TikTok or are you just reading? I have started exploring creating barbecue and bourbon content. Yeah, there's not enough of that. TikTok. Definitely not enough. Yeah, enough. I know. Yeah, might as well do not, cast not iron too, pans um, next. That's another category without enough content. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. W- without without 
given too much away of our year-end episode, are you predicting that Threads takes off next year, Art? I'd say it's possible. I'd say it's possible. I think it... You're getting those vibes? Yeah, I'm getting vibes. It's, it's an active social network. You can use it. It's not a ghost town. It's, it's very active. It's got really good content. I think for ad tech in particular, it doesn't have the critical mass. I am definitely get more of my... my I don't have a 300. Consumer. I have a 20,000. And for my 20,000, they're on, they're on X, and they're making snide remarks about my thoughts about Cox Media Group, which I appreciate. So that, that's yeah. still my primary social network, but I'm giving Threads a good shot. All right. I'm going to sign on right after this. Right. I'm going to like one of your posts. All right. Andrew, this was an awesome interview. This is one of the longer ones we've done because we had so much to talk about. And so everyone needs to, I'm just going to repeat the plug, which is Andrew's on a listening tour. You want to get on his calendar. It's probably pretty easy. He's hanging out in the Aria lobby with me in Vegas for CES. Next week, we have the the year-end episode. I don't want to call it the holiday episode. The year-end episode will probably come out Monday or Tuesday. So look out for that. So this is a great episode. Andrew, thank you for being here. Thank you. Eric, always a pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. You got it. See you next week. Thank you for subscribing to Marketecture. New interviews are added every week at Marketecture.tv and your favorite podcasting app.